You're listening to Venture Vignettes, a podcast that features learnings from trailblazers in entrepreneurship and investment. I'm your host, Rihanna Shaw, and today on the show, we have Justin Davis, Portfolio Manager at Red F. Thanks for tuning in. Justin Davis is a Bay Area native and graduated from Stanford University in 2004 with a BA in Communications and more recently an MSX from the Stanford Graduate School of Business. You may be familiar with Justin because of his tenure playing professional basketball in multiple European countries and domestically in the NBA. Currently, as portfolio manager, Justin oversees Red F's investments and regional partnership building in Seattle. Justin is also part of the Impact Lending team where he helps identify and support new lending opportunities. Prior to his work with Red F, Justin was a community engagement officer at the Caper Center for Social Impact where he developed and led multiple initiatives that introduced youth of color to computer programming and tech careers. With a passion for helping people, organizations, and companies reach their full potential, Justin joined Redef to help ensure that people who have faced great adversity and who are striving to improve their lives have a fair chance to do so. Thanks so much for being on the show, Justin. Thank you. Thank you. To start out, could you talk a little bit about what your transition was like from professional basketball to community engagement at KPOR? Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting because it's not as simple as one day waking up and saying, I don't like my job anymore. I need to find a new job or I want to move into a different sector. In my case, it was more so my body making the decision like, hey, you've been taking a beating and been grinding for so long that I don't think you should be doing this anymore. (laughs) And that wasn't necessarily a decision that I wanted to make, Mm -hmm. but for the sake of my health and sanity, it was one that I needed to make. And there was certainly a gap period between when I stopped playing mm-hmm. and when I got to the Kpor Center. And that was uh, a period in which there was a lot of reflection. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of uncertainty. There was a lot of confusion. There was even some emptiness in terms of self-fulfillment. Was I a failure because I didn't have a longer career playing basketball? And certainly, I feel like I was entitled to have all those feelings. And I think that's just kind of like the growing pains of any career transition, especially Mm -hmm. a career in which you have aspired to do something for your whole life. And you're really at that point knocking on the door Mm -hmm. or even got, you know, have been let in. And so just kind of went back into what did I also have interest in outside of basketball? Uh, What were the courses at Stanford that really uh, inspired me or made me think um, passionately about where I can make a difference? Uh, One of those was uh, in that space Mm -hmm. and also just in in communications in a broader sense where technology was going. I remember writing a, a paper, I think maybe my junior year I said in the next five years you'll never be able to find a payphone right of course I was ambitiously thinking Mm -hmm. but I don't know where you can find a payphone (laughs) you know (laughs) and and so maybe I knew something uh at then that uh yeah technology was gonna be really big yeah um and uh fortunately for me um just kind of hitting the pavement and thank god for being able to stay up late and look on Craigslist and look at opportunities, (laughs) I found one with the Mitchell K. Porter Foundation doing something that I was really interested in. And uh, at that time, the K. Porter Center was known as Mitchell K. Porter Foundation and was able to join that team. And that kind of just uh, jump-started my new career in uh, working in philanthropy. 
That's really interesting. What were some of the things you were working on at KPOR? Yeah, so at that time we were focused on education, civic engagement, and food justice. Mm -hmm. Uh, With my interest in light background in education, I was able to help oversee that portfolio as we were doing small grants to organizations that were working in education uh, here in the Bay Area. Uh, So with the focus being on African-American males, me being an African-American male, it was something that resonated with me Mm -hmm. and I felt that, wow, how great is it I can actually move into philanthropy, work with organizations that I have some familiarity with uh, being from the area, and also just be able to develop skills that mm-hmm. uh, that I didn't have before. So it really turned out to be a great opportunity. Yeah, it's a really great meeting of the world in so many ways, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, things would have it that here I am going into my first uh, meetings with uh, some of the community-based organizations, and, and some of the people... There was a few times where people were like, oh, I remember you from when you were playing basketball, blah, 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 blah. I was just like, oh, yeah, that's great. Come on, let's, let's just bring you back to this opportunity here. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, it certainly felt good that, like, at least in the basketball sense that I had left a, just a strong impact within this community. And now here I am to have an opportunity to make another impact uh, just in a very different uh, spectrum. Yeah, that's really beautiful. I'm wondering, are there things you learned in your basketball career that you're able to transfer to your daily life and work and currently, especially in your work and investment? That's a great question. I, I would say this. You can't take things personally. right? There will be a lot of opportunities that you're presented with, but the opportunity is only good with how prepared you are for them. And if you're not prepared, chances are it may not work out. Um, and that's one of the things to just in whether it's going into meetings or even uh, working uh, with other uh, working with companies or other partners. It's just are we prepared for this moment? Because um, when the opportunity presents itself, we need to be ready to kind of just move things forward at an accelerated pace. And, and I feel like that's been like the biggest takeaway um, with basketball. And certainly when you've played in as many countries as I've played and you've had coaches from different cultures and uh, um, who speak to you in ways that may not be as sweet to your mother's ear as <laughs> as, as I would like to say uh, you learn to have, have thick skin because yeah. um, you, you fail and what better place to be in the Silicon Valley or San Francisco Bay Area where failure is rewarded yeah right and uh you know, and certainly uh, being a competitive individual, mm-hmm. failure is not an option. Yeah. But conti- failure also means that you're trying, that yeah, you're that definitely. you're attempting, and uh, that's certainly the first step is taking is making at least making a, a solid attempt to do something. Yeah, definitely. Do you feel like you have a clear-cut understanding of when something you've done is a failure versus not? Because I feel like that's one of the things that I've struggled with in the past, which is that, and I think it's similar for many other entrepreneurs, where they just don't necessarily see a setback as a failure. It's just sort of like a, oh, path A didn't work, we're going to try path B. It's not personal, it's just the data that's sort of telling you to do something else. So I'm wondering how you think about failure. So I really like that question, and I'll tell you why. I think we all have our own internal assessment of what failure is. I think a great way of measuring failure is 
when no one wants to talk to you about the idea that you're <laughs> that you're presenting. You kind of just run at, you ran out of people to kind of pitch your idea to. And it's a clear sense. If people aren't interested mm-hmm. in what you're what you're doing, if people are not trying to connect you to other individuals, chances are that it's time to change directions mm-hmm. or just start over all again. Um, and I'm not not to say that the idea was a failure, but just perhaps the execution. Yeah. Right. Because um, we all know, like you know, ideas are worthless. It's really mm-hmm. how we execute them. That, that determines the, the end success. Um, so that's usually with myself. Uh, if if I'm working on something and I'm not able to get traction, yeah. and that traction is lost, mm-hmm. it's perhaps time to scrap it. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think that's a really important point, which is sometimes entrepreneurs or even just folks who are working at corporations or working on any sort of idea, it seems sometimes we'll get really attached to the particular idea and then it becomes hard to sort of let it go and it's not really about it's not really personal it's not really about your idea it's just a matter of what the market may be ready for or what Absolutely. people will be looking for yep i completely agree that's really interesting let's switch a little bit to some of the work that you're doing now and some of the work that you've done with kpor could you talk a little bit about what venture philanthropy is because redf claims to be a venture philanthropy organization it's something that you claim to have done before as well yeah yeah so i I would say while Red F claims to be doing venture philanthropy, and we absolutely are, I would say in my previous life, I was doing it, but not in the structured sense, hmm. right? I was very fortunate when I was at KPOR while I was on the uh, community engagement team and we were doing straight philanthropy, mm-hmm. also had uh, opportunities to sit in on meetings with mm-hmm. KPOR Capital. Mm-hmm. Right or work directly with one of the portfolio companies that we were uh, that we had invested in and being able to work with them. So I was getting being able to get both sides of the business. And here at Red F, it's very much venture philanthropy. We are helping these social enterprises. And these are revenue generating businesses that also have a social purpose involved. Mm-hmm. Right, and for us, we're targeting businesses that look to help those who've had faced the greatest barriers to employment. Mm-hmm. So whether it has been uh, drug addiction, uh, mental health, uh, incarceration, um, there is a significant uh, part of the population mm-hmm. that aren't able to just fill out an application yeah. um, or just have a resume with a list of experience and get a job next day. It's a lot more difficult for them Mm -hmm. um, and for them to get employment and we're looking at those uh, businesses that look to employ those individuals Mm -hmm. so that's the the philanthropic side and the venture side is that we are making we're making an investment in what is a business right Mm -hmm. even though it's through a grant we're making sure that they're that these companies are growing that they're uh, profitable they're sustainable that they're growing not just in terms of their revenue, but also are they able to hire more people and have a churn rate in which they can exit out people so they can move on to full-time employment somewhere else and bring in new people. Yeah, what are some examples of companies you've seen that are doing this especially well in the space? There's uh, a lot of them, and it's really built around industries, right? There are different industries that seem to have a lot more success in social enterprise space. Hmm. Uh, one of the obvious industries is the food sector, right? Food mm-hmm. prep, 
uh, you're thinking of low skills of food prep in terms of your cutting, your washing, the slicing of vegetables, uh, all the way until just actually getting meals together and that evolving into someone that's working at a restaurant as a full-time chef. Uh, I have a uh, in my portfolio company, Fair Start in Seattle, mm-hmm. and uh, they're doing extremely well. Uh, actually, have a partnership with Amazon and working out of what Amazon calls their Troy Block region, where they have not only the, their company, mm-hmm. but a lot of their subsidiaries. And, uh, mm-hmm. and Fair Start is able to have a cafe, they have a restaurant, and they're doing a lot of amazing things. Yeah. Um, another uh, area that's really popular within this uh, sector is alternative staffing. Interesting. Right, so the front desk staff at, whether it's at a, uh, a lobby of a, a condominium or mm-hmm. a business, mm-hmm. um, the people who are working that front door monitoring who's coming in and out, right? So those are jobs, people have opportunity to sit in those, in mm-hmm. those positions and develop skills albeit, you know, low skill jobs, but develop skill, but even more importantly, self-empowerment. Yeah. Right? Because they have a responsibility. Mm -hmm. They're monitoring the situation. They're reporting back what's happening. Mm -hmm. So these are uh, all really great opportunities. And I think um, certainly uh, overlooked um, employment opportunities as we think of employment as a writ large in the United States. Yeah, hmm, that's really interesting. So what would you say is the difference between a normal restaurant that's employing low-skilled labor versus one of the Red F portfolio companies who may be employing folks who you say are unemployable or who may be harder to employ in other circumstances? Absolutely. Um, I think the key factor is case management, hmm. right? So one reason that is hard for this particular population of individuals to sustain employment mm-hmm. is because... They're dealing with a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, if it's someone that has a history of drug abuse mm-hmm. or mental health issues, they may not be considered in the in the everyday business to be reliable, mm-hmm. right? Well, these people are reliable. However, they, they just have um, issues that they're facing, mm-hmm. right? Issues that can really pull them away from their, their normal activities, their day-to-day responsibilities. Yeah. So while they're may have been at work on time early and ready to go on Monday and Tuesday, mm-hmm. something can happen between Tuesday evening yeah. and Wednesday morning hmm. in which they may not be there. Yeah. Um, or even so, for ones who are able to go through a lot of the training programs mm-hmm. um, and, and take advantage of the case management that a lot of our social enterprises provide their clients, mm-hmm. um, once they are able to exit out these programs and get to a restaurant and that restaurant doesn't have that same type of case management or someone really supporting them, yeah. there could be different types of laps that they may endure. Hmm. That's interesting. So would you say it's almost like providing wraparound services that really makes the difference? Uh, absolutely. That is a key uh, differentiator between mm-hmm. the two. and. Um, it's certainly a value add mm-hmm. for a lot of the individuals um, that are uh, working at these social enterprises, yeah. being able to have those resources and mm-hmm. services provided for them. 
And would you say there's any difference in terms of the profitability of an organization that does provide these wraparound services versus doesn't, but is in the same industry? Yes, that's a great question. So it's because the alternative staffing Mm -hmm. market is only so big, right? Mm -hmm. One company can look to have a monopoly on all the kind of, (laughs) you know, 700,000 square foot buildings in San Francisco. Um, That's just... That may not be the case all the time. Yeah. Um, and also, again, because the skill level is uh, so low, mm-hmm. the margins aren't going to be that high. Yeah. Right. Um, and as for that's not necessarily a priority for us in terms of mm-hmm. you know the profit margin. Sure. Um, but certainly, um, that's something that we play close attention to, mm-hmm. and we're we're monitoring and just making sure that the companies are. Um, trending in a positive direction in terms of profits and profit margin. Yeah. And who would you say are some of the founders that are starting these companies? What What is it that motivates them to provide these wraparound services or to employ folks who may in some ways, in air quotes, be unreliable? Yeah, it's, it's people who come from uh, a wide range of backgrounds. It's people mm-hmm. who've probably experienced some sort of setback in life themselves mm-hmm. and uh, really want to demonstrate that uh, they are that people like them or this particular population should not be mm-hmm. shunned from opportunity mm-hmm. simply because of their past experiences mm-hmm. uh, is uh, people who are religious mm-hmm. right who mm-hmm. are kind of living um, by their religious creed and want to yeah. contribute that way is uh, also people who um, see a business opportunity, yeah. right? And this and this is a revenue generating area in which we can form a team together. We can also mm-hmm. uh, establish ourselves as a C three and get some grants, and we can also get mm-hmm. some um, some private funding, and we can be a profitable, sustainable uh, entity. That's incredible. Uh, so it's interesting that REDF specifically focuses a lot on employment, whether this be for the homeless, those who are formerly incarcerated, or those suffering from mental illnesses. Why is employment the central focus? Well, well again, going back to self-empowerment, mm-hmm. right? It's hard to empower someone to be self-sufficient if you're continuously providing um, social services mm-hmm. slash handouts, mm-hmm. right? Um, however... There is empowerment in teaching someone a skill, um, helping them become responsible, and putting them in a position where they can move beyond where they were in terms of dependency mm-hmm. and becoming truly independent. Um, that's what's key for us. Um, if you look at what we've been able to do, the economic impact of mm-hmm. our work has been off the charts we have a what we call like a payoff for society right uh, so for every dollar that red f spends is a societal benefit of two dollars and 23 cents hmm. wow right so that's a, a savings to society if you're like thinking about your taxes mm-hmm. um and where your tax dollars are going and when you're thinking about oh you know, we have to pay these taxes and blah, 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 blah. And the money is just going to just to help these people. Well, what Rev is doing, we're trying to mitigate that 
output that you're um, spending on taxes in terms mm-hmm. of social services and put that money towards uh, or recapture that money and so for folks can become again em- full-time employed long-term employment and self-empowered yeah. right and so you'll see that decrease um, in terms of uh, w- what you're putting out in terms of taxes. Mm-hmm. So it's almost kind of like the idea of you're teaching a man to fish instead of providing him fish. Yeah, exactly. However, if you want to provide him fish too, that's, that's <laughs> yeah. even great. I never heard anyone complain they had too much fish. <laughs> I'd love to switch to talking a little bit about your role at Red F. What does your day-to-day as a portfolio manager look like? I'm not hands-on, right? I- I- I'm not at the companies that are in, our, in uh, my portfolio, um, it's, it's, um, there's a little distance between us. Mm-hmm. Um, however, how we're operating as portfolio managers is we are providing services and also uh, consulting and, and just our own kind of thought capital, if mm-hmm. you will, to support these companies. Um, you know, each company is going to have their own respective goals, um, and those goals can be in quantitative or qualitative. Um, and we step in in ensuring that they are reaching those goals, these mm-hmm. targets. Um, and also, really, again, what's important for us are those numbers, those employee numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, while each month we have what we call uh, our VC meetings, and not mm-hmm. to get that. Uh, confused with venture capital, mm-hmm. but uh, venture committee, hmm. um, and where uh, we were checking in on a monthly basis, checking progress, checking uh, the empl- employment go- uh, numbers. Uh, we're also checking to see how, what their, their were goals around um, um, sales, revenue, are they reaching those goals, mm-hmm. um, and making sure that they are, uh, the organizations are trending in the right direction. That's fascinating. That's some really, really interesting work. What advice would you have for those who are interested in becoming portfolio managers at companies that do impact investing or venture philanthropy? Yeah, I, I would say study the field. Um, and and it uh, really gets to know the industry. Um, so again, um, you know, the social enterprise industry ranges from uh, retail consumer goods to uh, something new that's uh, developing deconstruction, mm-hmm. right? Um, obviously, you have alternative staffing. Um, you have uh, the food food space. Uh, really take the time to get to know those industries, see where the direction is going, where opportunities exist. Uh, uh, the, the more informed you are, the better you're able to help uh, the social enterprises. Um, and in a very weird way, you become an interesting gatekeeper of knowledge, hmm. right? You become a connector. Uh, you become a, a, a thought partner. Um, uh, when you're in this particular p- position, some of these social enterprises, they may have great ideas, but they just don't know which direction to go. Yeah. Uh, so they're going to be leaning on you to, to support them. And mm-hmm. um, one of the things that uh, we're really intentional about, if we don't have the answer, mm-hmm. We'll, we'll find consultants, we'll bring them in, we'll, we'll, we'll sometimes uh, underwrite the costs yeah. uh, so they can, uh, the social enterprises can get the resources that they need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very similar to nonprofits, you know, they're 
they're they're an image of small companies they're bootstrapping too yeah you can check out justin's work on twitter by following red f works and can follow me on linkedin or twitter at rihanna shaw thanks for listening and i'm so excited to see you next week